welcome to New Mexico People, Places and Ideas. I'm Steven Spitz. On today's show, New Mexico is experiencing its worst drought in more than a thousand years. Is our climate-induced water crisis actually manageable? We'll ask the top water official for Governors Richardson, Martinez, and Lujan Grisham, former state engineer John D'Antonio. John D'Antonio, welcome to the program. Stephen, thank you so much for having me. Uh, really appreciate it. What I'd like to do is start with the drought, then discuss where we get our water from, who uses it, and how much. Then talk about water rights, and finally discuss why you recently resigned in protest over your agency's treatment. So first, the drought. Is it proper to even call it a drought? It's been going on for 20 years, and it's supposed to continue. Well, I think it is a drought, but it's also more of the norm uh, as we get into the multiple years of dry conditions. Uh, and we're really looking at what we are calling aridification, which is um, you know, making conditions uh, a lot more arid around the state of New Mexico. So, yeah, it, a drought uh, might, might take on a new meaning here, and uh, we're really uh, getting more and more arid as time goes on. So I, I, I looked at the something called the U.S. Drought Monitor right mm -hmm. before this. And the U.S. Drought Monitor says we're in severe or extreme drought in 90% of the state. And I guess what I don't understand is the monsoon season seems like it's been pretty good. So how, how can we be in drought when we're getting so much monsoon rain? Well, there's um, there's different ways to measure drought. There's hydro what we call hydrologic droughts, uh, which uh, really are reflective of precipitation. But there's other droughts that affect uh, an area such as New Mexico in with regards to water supply, what's in our lakes and rivers, uh, uh, other things besides what's currently happening. And if you do look at the drought monitor, as you mentioned it, uh, prior you know three months ago. We had a lot more deeper, what we call deeper dark colors, the D4, which is exceptional drought. Yeah, it's gotten better. Uh, yeah, it's it's gotten better, but but yeah, you're you're absolutely right. When you look at uh, the D1 to D4, which is a moderate drought to exceptional drought, we're still 91% uh, of the state is in is in that uh, degree of drought. So even though things are improving. I think that's one of the the things that we uh, we worry about sometimes is people see it raining and they think the the disaster's over and it's a it's a long term degradation of our water resources over a period of time, and it, and it and it continues uh, our water supply in our lakes especially um, is is gone way down, and so there's nothing to to sort of uh, replenish those supplies as as uh, as the rains go away. And the lake levels are, are still really far down. Is, is this actually going to be unusual as we go forward? Well, you know, what we're seeing, Stephen, is the Earth's warming. Uh, and, you know, a lot of it is with respect to atmospheric carbon dioxide. Uh, that warming actually results in uh, what we call that aridity that I was talking about, uh, including in New Mexico. And especially in New Mexico, we have warmer temperatures. Uh, so we have a decreased water supply. We have thinner snowpacks, earlier spring runoff. So our snowpack used to happen between seven and say 11, 14,000 acre feet. Uh, but, but the warming temperatures now that snow melt and snowpack really accumulates above 
maybe 9,000 feet now. So our natural reservoirs are, are being reduced. Uh, we have lower, uh, what we call lower soil moisture levels. And so the increased frequency and intensity of, of wildfires, you can see that happening all over the place. And so there's a, a really an increased uh, competition and a demand for water resources. And so when we look at the next 50 years and, uh, and our office, when I was with the State Engineer's Office and the Interstate Stream Commission, they put together a 50-year uh, water plan, essentially looking at the impacts on water resources uh, that are attributable to uh, this climate change or these drying conditions, uh, just to, to create a, a scientific foundation on, on moving ahead 50 years. And, and what, what we called it was a leap ahead analysis to look, to look forward. And so, yeah, all the climate models, as we look at them, they, they indicate significant increases in temperature. And so even if you don't, even if you have the same amount of precipitation, if precipitation doesn't go lower, lower uh, with those increased warming temperatures, uh, you actually have uh, uh, the, the recipe for continued uh, drought and drying of the state's water resources. And, and so how much of our water supply does come from snowpack and how much is actually groundwater usage? Well, uh, if you look at surface water, uh, and I guess I'll maybe rephrase your question a little bit. Uh, sure. Most of the surface water uh, and groundwater is about a 50-50 mix. So when you know, we look at the total water that's uh, diverted New Mexico, and uh, the state engineer's office does water use. They have a water use and conservation bureau. So they look at every 10 years, they, they look at the amount of water that's diverted. And so in, uh, in the mid-90s, 1995, uh, we, the state diverted about 4 million acre-feet of water. And an acre-foot of water is a, is a measurement that we use in the West. It's, it's uh, one acre-foot is 326,000 gallons. And to put it in perspective, if you had a foot of water on, a, on one acre of land, that would be an acre-foot of water. And so that, that 4 million uh, uh, acre-feet that we had in 1995 was actually in 2015, so 10 years later, we actually we, we only uh, diverted about 3 million acre-feet. So there was a, almost a million acre-foot reduction in the amount of water that was used. Uh, and the vast majority of the water in the West is used in agriculture. New Mexico, about 70, a little bit over 76% of the water is used in agriculture. So, um, uh, you know, there's some other there's some other areas, public water supply and domestic use is is not quite 10 percent. It's about nine point nine percent. Amazingly enough, we use we, we lose seven and a half percent of our water through reservoir evaporation, uh, which is really not benefiting anybody. Uh, and then just commercial and industrial power, mining, livestock, another 6.3%. So if you total those numbers, that's our 100% of water. And about half of it's groundwater, half of it's surface water. Uh, you can imagine when we get into the droughts, uh, we're relying a lot more on groundwater, which is really not being replenished at any, um, uh, you know, very well, essentially. Most, most of the areas within the state of Mexico takes uh, hundreds of years to replenish a groundwater supply. And so uh, you were, we're really mining groundwater uh, within the state of New Mexico. So, so basically, we're overusing groundwater. It's unsustainable. It, it is unsustainable, uh, yeah. Um, and, that's, and that's how we're getting by. The, you know, a lot of the modeling that, that has gone on, uh, and these are the experts that look at models. The hydrologic modeling indicates that we're going to have declines in, uh, in runoff 
and recharge going forward uh, by about three to five percent per decade. So when we, when we as professionals and we had a, a group of uh, highly renowned scientists and climate experts that looked at water supply in the state of New Mexico, in in a three to five percent decline in those supplies over a fifty year period of time, uh, you know means uh, and that's that's per decade. So that means we're we're going to be fifteen to twenty five percent. Uh, less of a supply of water through our surface water resources in the next 50 years. So the, it, it's clearly a downward trend. You know, where do we stand going forward in terms of being able to live our lives? And given what you've said about decreasing uh, uh, surface water and overusing groundwater, are we going to be able, how are we going to do? Yeah, well, and then that's kind of a, that was a long explanation that I was going to get to, to, to get there. But but essentially what we're, we're having to do is we're we're having to look at and manage with the current resources we have. So so as a as a state regulator, I don't allow or the state engineer now you know, won't allow for any new appropriations of water. So given the fact that uh, I had mentioned we had 76 percent of our water is used by the agricultural sector. When we grow our cities, so municipal, industrial, commercial development, as that continues to grow over a period of time, we have to transfer water rights from essentially the ag community to a municipal or an industrial use, just the consumptive use portion. So you're not, you're not, you're, it's, a, it's sort of a, it's a zero sum game with respect to uh, depletions. You're not depleting the rivers anymore, but you're just allowing drying up an acre of, of farmland, essentially, and that consumptive use that that farm used is transferred to a water use. So how we're doing it is we're, we're trying to limit, obviously, uh, any new appropriations anywhere within the state of New Mexico. And, and you have to file applications for what we call a change in place and purpose of use, which means you're changing from agriculture to to municipal and industrial use. And one of the things I'd like to use at one point is you could you know, years, this is a few years ago where I made this statement, but you could essentially double the state's population by taking about 10% of the water out of agriculture. That's a kind of a broad statement. And it's a statement to make because the, the, the most difficult part of that concept is uh, the growth is not always where the water resources that are available to transfer from agriculture aren't necessarily there. So how do you get them from point A to point B? You've raised so many great questions, but before, um, I want to come back to them. But before I do that, I want to mention this is New Mexico People, Places and Ideas. My name is Stephen Spitz, and I'm very pleased to be speaking with um, New Mexico's top water official under three different governors. Uh, he, the title is state engineer. And uh, his name is John D'Antonio, and um, I'd like to focus in on the agricultural uh, part of the use uh, just for a moment, because as you said, uh, you know, it's that old Willie Sutton quote, right? Why do you rob banks? Because that's where the, the money is. <laughs> Why is there a focus on agriculture? Because that's where the water is, right? That's so, correct. Um, so when it comes to agriculture, uh, you said that the uh, the use is like between about 77%, right, of water yeah. goes to agriculture. Um, so uh, w with regard to the crops, the, there's this question of uh, how much uh, crop do you get for the drop? And I've been reading that a lot of our crops are water thirsty. Uh, first of all, do you, is that true? 
do we have a lot of water thirsty crops, do you think? We absolutely do. Uh, alfalfa uses a lot of water. Uh, and, and there's, and it also is dependent upon how many cuttings. So how many times they, uh, the farmers go in and, uh, uh, harvest that alfalfa over a period of time. And we call number of cuttings, obviously the consumptive use that alfalfa is using. There's a lot of water there. Uh, we have an expanded use of, uh, pecans, uh, a little bit in the middle Rio Grande, but mostly in the, in the lower Rio Grande and in the Pecos area. Uh, when those, when those canopies of those pecan trees, uh, grow. Uh, they use a significant amount of water, uh, seven, eight uh, acre feet per acre. Uh, some of the other uh, water uses are uh, somewhere closer to three to four. Uh, some of the row crops um, are, you know, are, are, are somewhat less than that. But um, yeah, uh, there's a lot of high water use crops uh, within the state of New Mexico and really everywhere. So, so how much do farmers pay for water? They don't pay for the water itself, um, uh, other than if they belong to an irrigation district, they pay assessments uh, to that irrigation district for water. So I wouldn't say they don't pay anything. Uh, that's, a, that's, that's a tax. Uh, that's, a, that, that's an assessment based on the number of acreage they use. They I have see. to pump the water. Uh, groundwater, there's an electrical cost, obviously. Uh, with pumping, so there's a, a cost to do uh, uh -huh. to do that. But yeah, so how do you evaluate water because um, because it is a property right? There's a value to it, and so there's a market out there. There's a sub market where people will lease water rights um, uh, to others uh, for you know kind of a water marketing sort of concept. Where I'm not going to use uh, this much water because I'm only going to get four inches this year, and I need three feet. So I'm gonna I'm gonna lease that four inches to to another farmer. And it takes, you know, three or more farmers to do the same thing. And th so they'll lease that water for, for a certain amount. But it's not, it's not as much as you would expect. A lot of the lease rates in, in New Mexico are um, 80 to $130 an acre foot just on a short-term lease, which is not a lot of water in comparison to what it would cost to actually buy a water right. So if you're going to buy a water right, uh, that's a, a heck of a lot more expensive uh, you know, as much as probably seventy, eighty, uh, ninety thousand dollars for an acre a foot of water. Just, just one more question on on the uh, the farming part, which is, um, in terms of how they irrigate. I've also been reading that actually uh, a lot of the irrigation isn't particularly water friendly. As much as fifty percent is flood irrigation, and and actually I'm not really sure if that's water friendly or not, because supposedly if you flood irrigate, then the water goes back down into the aquifer. So how, how do you view that? Well, there's there's a couple of different ways to look at it, and that's really a good question. So flood irrigating, uh, it's more efficient if the fields are what we call laser leveled. So if you have level fields, so the water's not piling up in one area and not getting to another area, extremely important to level your fields. Uh, but there's there's also another concept that drip irrigation is is the savior to creating efficiency. And when you look at a, a lawn or a typical municipal uh, use where we have drip irrigation and uh, we're we're using it for for our lawns, you know I think it's a really good concept. It's not always so good within within big agricultural areas. Because what's, what winds up happening, and this happened, um, has happened a lot in big irrigation areas, under the guise of cons conservation where you're putting drip irrigation in, 
what happens is you're releasing the water at a rate that the that the plant can absorb it and produce more. So, so uh, essentially, you know, an acre um, an acre of alfalfa uh, uh, might be producing, you know, uh, I'll just say three tons or something uh, under a under a um, you know, under um, flood irrigation, but when you do the drip irrigation, it's maybe producing five tons per acre. That's that's a huge amount of consumptive use that's going up. And um, and I used to know the numbers a little bit better when I was doing them. But the point the point being is is that sometimes through some of the um, other irrigation or crop circles, uh, you need that water to depercolate into the soil because there's a water right downstream that the next water user needs to get to. It's also beneficial to remove salts from the soil. So in the, in the long term, drip irrigation is not always the best. And intuitively, you would think it is. Hey, we're saving water. We're creating this more efficient system. But you're consumptively using more water. And so it's, uh, we saw it a big problem on the Pecos River uh, early in 2003 when we had a, a settlement. And we needed to buy buy farmland and take water, uh, take farmland out of production in order to meet our compact deliveries to the state of Texas uh, back uh, back in 2003. So just one more question on water use, because you, you mentioned evaporation and you said, I think you said it was seven and a half percent of water went to evaporation. And I and that sounds like a very high number to just, as you said, waste. Um, I mean, is it possible to put that water underground or to do anything about it? Or is it just uh, that's what we have to deal with, 7.5%? Well, it is possible, and, and we're looking at uh, trying to expand that use. Aquifer storage and recovery is a um, is something that we've been trying to get uh, more of uh, within the state of New Mexico. A lot of it is a little more difficult than uh, – um, and, and I think part of the laws need to change a little bit to allow – a public-private partnership to do it. The way the law is written now, it's restricted to to entities, um, uh, uh, public entities. Uh, so the city of Albuquerque, essentially the water, Albuquerque, uh, Bernalillo County Water Utility Authority, they have a couple of projects that they use for their recharging the aquifer uh, through uh, percolation and through deep well injection. That saves a lot of water from staying in a reservoir and evaporating. So it's it's needed. It should be. Um, it's it's going to be looked at uh, in the future a little bit more. But uh, we've been really slow in New Mexico to do it, and I think uh, changing the laws to allow some public-private partnerships to participate uh, might help those numbers a bit. So I'd like to like to turn next to water administration uh, by the state engineer. But okay. first, let me mention that this is New Mexico people, places, and ideas. My name is Stephen Spitz, and we're speaking today with. Uh, uh, John D'Antonio, he has been the top water official called state engineer here uh, for three different governors. And uh, when I think of a water administration, it's um, making sure the right people use the right amount of water and that the state is using the right, right amount of water. So starting with the first thing, uh, how, how does the state engineer make sure the right people are using the right amount of water? 
Well, uh, Stephen, every every use of water in New Mexico is permitted. You, uh, you need an application uh, by the state engineer. I started going uh, into this a little bit earlier, and the way the laws work, all water in New Mexico belongs to the public, and the unappropriated portion of that water is available for appropriation through a permit. And that's how the that's how the West was developed. There's 18 states, um, give or take one, that that practice some form of priority appropriation, which means whoever put the water to beneficial use first is the senior uh, user, the senior owner of that priority right. And we measure beneficial use. Uh, that's that's the what we call the basis, the me measure and the limit of a water right. So a state engineer, uh, uh, the main objective is to permit the uses for any surface uh, or groundwater use uh, that comes um, that anybody uses within the state of New Mexico. So there was a 1907 water code. Uh, we were uh, the state of New Mexico was actually managing water through a territorial engineer before we became a state. Uh, and and so uh, the, there was a 1907 water code that was implemented that provided the state engineer with uh, those exclusive uh, administrative authorities to regulate diversion of of water. And then in 1931, there was a groundwater act. Uh, because pump technology started coming into play. You had groundwater and uh, augmenting surface water supplies. And so uh, that was the, the renaissance of the groundwater pumping, which has really allowed for uh, great expansions. But uh, it, it's also somewhat of a concern because that groundwater, as I spoke to earlier, is not really uh, being replenished uh, or it's being replenished at a very low rate uh, based on, uh, on recharge and infiltration. So, so as I understand, and you, you re referenced this earlier, um, you know, the, the legal right to water is uh, obtained in an adjudication. And from what I could see, these adjudicate, are these like uh, region-wide, how local are these adjudications where water, right, water rights are established? How localized? Well, there there's different adjudications that uh, should be in every single water basin within the within the state of New Mexico. We've got you know 30, 30 plus water basins. I think we might have thirty nine water basins. Um, so there's a lot of different water basins. Uh, there's not everything's adjudicated, but there's uh, there's uh, something that happened uh, at the end of my first term as as state engineer. Uh, in 2012, all the work, the body of work that the state engineer's office did from 2003 to 2000, at the end of 2011, to put the active water resource management initiative into play, which was metering, measuring, uh, putting in uh, these concepts of water masters in the field. You know, you can't manage what you don't measure. All that whole thing was, uh, was substantiated by the New Mexico Supreme Court, because anytime you change something, you know, the attorney, we talked about the attorneys getting involved. Uh, they, uh, they sued for, uh, for status quo. Uh, the New Mexico Supreme Court affirmed everything that the state of, uh, engineer's office had done from 2003 to 2012, which the, the, uh, the bottom line part of that was allowing the state engineer to manage water with the best information that was available in its water rights files, which means we, didn't, we don't necessarily have to go through a full adjudication and what that Supreme Court decision said, hey, in the absence of full adjudications, the state engineer has the authority based on the information that we have to, to manage water within the state of New Mexico, which was a huge, 
uh, uh, win, essentially, for the state. Uh, adjudications are slow. They're expensive. We don't have to wait uh, for them to all be complete before we can actively manage water uh, within our basins, which means turn off junior users if we have to, if the supply goes short. Uh, but more importantly is, do we have a better uh, scenario in place, an alternative admin administration? Because priority administration is cruel. You, can you turn off uh, water users, and you really don't want that to happen. You want to have more of a, a stakeholder-driven approach, which, was, which is what active water resource management is. So do you call that an administrative water right? Is that the terminology you used for what you did? Uh, it's a it's an administrative uh, uh, process, I would say. The water rights are defined as uh, water that's been put to beneficial use, the time of use. There's real, there's there's three elements of a water right, essentially. Or there's more elements than that, but there's a there's a point of diversion, there's a place of use, um, and and there's a an amount of use when you put the water to use, which gives you the priority date, and then a continuous use. Uh, challenge to make sure that you're continually using water so you don't lose it through forfeiture or abandonment. How much of our water is adjudicated? How much of it is w what I just called an administrative water right? And how much of it is unknown? <laughs> I used, yeah, I used to know those numbers. Uh, I would say we're, we're probably close to maybe 50% adjudicated, but higher than that in what we, we would call uh, uh, um, Subfile orders that so there's been a lot of progress made, but the full adjudication hasn't just happened yet. So there's been incremental progress on it, but again, as as I was mentioning before, it's more important uh, to put those resources instead of co just completing the adjudications. It's more important to actually start putting them into this active water resource management initiative. What percentage of the waters have been done that way? Uh, well, uh, I would say uh, we're just still in the infancy of putting those um, uh, district-specific regulations together. It's my impression that that has something to do with your resignation and why you resigned. And I wanted to give you the opportunity to talk about that. Well, yeah, there's, um, um, I mean, that had a lot to, to do with it. There, it's really pretty frustrating when when uh, you're working on something as critical as water and you continue to uh, uh, try to plead your case in front of the legislature and the executive branch and say, hey, well, we really need to do this. There's really not a more important um, um, issue in New Mexico than, than our water. And just to put things in perspective, when I was state engineer under, under the Richardson administration, I had over, uh, I would say three, if memory serves correct, about 312 people that worked for me. Uh, when I left the, the state engineer's office, I had uh, 67 less people, uh, 245 people. And when you, when you look at the, the amount of effort that's uh, 67 people and they all work, you know, 2,000, you do the math on that, 2,000, uh, uh, eight hours a year, whatever, it's 140,000 less staff hours per year to solve the water rights and water resources challenges. I'm sorry, but we're going to have to leave it there. I'd like to thank today's guest, John D'Antonio. He was the top water official for Governors Richardson, Martinez, and Lujan Grisham. Thanks also to my producer, Elias Henley. The executive producer of this show is Lynn Shebecki, and my name is Stephen Spitz. You've been listening to New Mexico People, Places and Ideas on KUNM. Podcasts of the show are available wherever you get podcasts. Archives of past shows are at stevenspitz.com. Thanks for listening and see you next time.